Thank you, Brother Brian, for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing this morning. Thank you to all of you who are here to worship the Lord today. Please get your Bible and go to the last book of the Bible with me to Revelation. We're going to spend a good, a good amount of time in Revelation today. The, the first few chapters there, particularly Revelation 2 and 3. You want to go ahead and get there in your Bible. Some of you, after Bible class, were asking me to uh, what the answer was about the question with the holy kiss. Is that binding on us? A lot of you wanted to know that. So here's the answer. I'm going to give it to you now. you got to come back Wednesday night. <laughs> that was, that's why I did that. I did that on purpose so you can come back Wednesday. And we're going to talk more about that Wednesday. I, I promise you that. You know, my family and I, our, my family and I recently bought a, we bought a new car. Many of you know that. We actually got a Honda Pilot back in, in August of last year. I've always wanted one of those cars. And so far, it's, it's everything I hoped it would be. Uh, it drives real smooth. It gets good gas mileage out here in the valley. It has nice leather seats and a remote key starter and plenty of room for the kids. It, it has a lot of things that I really like about it, but I'm going to tell you there's one thing about this car that I don't like at all. There is one feature on this vehicle that I am not a big fan of, and you want to know what it is? It's this right here. It's a lane departure warning system. Do you by any chance have one of these in your car? This is the first time I've ever owned a car with one of these. And as I said before, I don't, I don't like it very much at all. I am not a big fan of my lane departure warning system. I don't like it because it constantly tells me, and unfortunately it constantly tells my wife that I'm not as good of a driver as I thought I was. You see, what this particular feature does is it gives me a warning every time I start getting out of my lane. Whenever I begin to merge onto another lane without first using my signal, or maybe I'm not paying as much of attention on the road as I should be, my car will begin doing stuff. My car will begin to shake. It'll begin to vibrate. My steering wheel will, will, will stiffen up, and a message will pop up saying, Lane departure. Now, if I don't take heed to that message, well, my, my car will begin taking matters into its own hands. My car will actually begin itself getting back onto the right lane. Now, me being the control freak that I am, I don't like that at all. I do not like my car taking control away from me, even if I am doing some pretty bad driving. But that is a, a feature on my vehicle, and as I think about this, it certainly has constantly, it certainly has constantly made me more aware of, of my driving. It has certainly made me more aware of my need to make sure I'm staying in my lane and not getting off course. In fact, when I, when I think about this feature on, on my Honda, I can't help but also, I can't help but not also think about us. I can't help but not also think about us as the people of God today. You see, like so many faithful servants of God that we can read about in the Bible, like Abraham when he left out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and like the children of Israel when they left out of Egypt and began making their way to Canaan, and like Jesus when he 
left out of Galilee and he began making his way to Jerusalem for for the last time as the people of God today. We are also. We're also on a journey. We're on a journey. We're on a journey right now. We are traveling to the spiritual promised land. Like the song we often sing suggests, we're marching to Zion, right? We're marching to the beautiful city of God. We're marching to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're marching to heaven to be with God. That is what we are doing right now as I speak to you this morning. But here's my question as we make this journey. Is it possible? Is it possible that we could, could have some problems? Is it possible that we could get out of the right spiritual lane? Is it possible that we could get off course? You better believe this. It's possible for us to get off course. You better believe that's possible for me. And that's possible for you. In fact, that may be exactly what's going on in your life right now. It could be that right now, as I speak to you this morning, as we gather together in this place to worship God, Maybe, just maybe, you've gotten off course. Maybe, just maybe, you've gotten out of the spiritual lane that will lead you to heaven to be with God. Can I give you, if you don't mind this morning, can I give you a few warning signs for that? If you don't mind, can I give you a few spiritual, a few spiritual lane departing signs? And here's the first one right here. The first one I want us to think about is dying zeal. Dying zeal, dying zeal for the Lord. That's a spiritual departure sign. And so please go in your Bible, if you're not there already, to Revelation 2. We're going to look at just a few of these seven churches that were in Asia at this time. I really want to look at about three of them, not all seven due to time. We could look at all seven, but due to time, I want to look at just three. And the first one is found in, in Revelation 2, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says in verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know what's going on in the church and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they're not and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Verse four, but I have this against you. Jesus says, I got something against you that you left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Do you by any chance remember you by any chance remember this this church? You by any chance remember how we read about this church last year and our daily Bible reading? Remember in Acts chapter 19 and in Acts chapter 20, we read about the time when the Apostle Paul planted this church in the prominent Asian city of Ephesus. Remember last year we read about this church, this church being excited about the gospel. And they were excited about the Apostle Paul and the elders met up with Paul and Miletus so they could pray with him and encourage him and hug him and kiss him and bid him Godspeed as he made his way to Jerusalem with a contribution for the needy saints there. Remember, by the end of Acts chapter 20, after Paul has spent three years with this church, this church appeared to be a, a, a pretty strong church. 
it appeared to, to be a rock solid church that was doing some amazing things for the Lord. But by the time we get here to Revelation chapter two, Jesus says that something wasn't right. Something was way off about this church. Jesus says that while they were teaching the truth and while they were standing against false teachers, he still had something against them. He still had a problem with them. He still could see a problem within them. You see, the problem within these Christians, according to Jesus, is they had left their first love. They had left their first love. What does that mean? They left their first love. Well, simply put, that means that they didn't love Jesus as much as they once did. They were not as zealous and passionate and excited about him as they once were. They seem to have lost the deep level of appreciation for his sacrificial work at Calvary. These people didn't love Jesus as much as, as they once did. And for all the married folks in the room this morning, morning, and we got a lot of married people here, we are blessed to have in this room right now people who have been married 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50, even 60 years. For all the folks who are married this morning, if you're married in this room, I want to ask you something. How would you feel? How would you feel if you ever became aware that your spouse didn't feel the same way about you anymore? How would you feel if you ever became aware that your spouse didn't love you anymore? Your spouse was no longer passionate about you. Your spouse no longer felt the same way about you as, the day, as they did on the day in which you got married. If you discovered that, if you learned that about your spouse, would you be devastated by that? Would you be deeply hurt by that? Would you be pierced in your soul by that? That's what's going on between the Ephesians and Jesus. These Christians no longer love the Lord in the same way that they once did. They were doing a few things right, but they no longer had the same kind of zeal and passion and enthusiasm that they once had for the Lord. And Jesus goes on to say in verse number five that that was a major warning sign they had gotten off course. That was a major warning sign that they were on the verge of no longer even being recognized as his people. Jesus says these people didn't love him as much as they once did. And I want to suggest with a great deal of emphasis that what happened to these people, it can also happen to us. It can happen to me. And it can happen to you. In fact, let me ask you this now. Do you remember the day when you first became a Christian? Think back to that day. We got a lot of Christians in the room. And for those of you who are Christians, you believed in Jesus. You repent of your sins. You confessed the Jesus as Lord and you were baptized for the remission of your sins. For those of you here this morning and you are a New Testament Christian, you remember that, that day when you first became a Christian? You remember how when you came up out of that water, how, how excited you were? You remember how on fire you were? You remember how enthusiastic and, and, and passionate you were? You remember how you, you couldn't wait to, to keep on studying and to keep on growing and to keep on learning and to even share your newfound faith with somebody else? Do you remember how on fire for the Lord you were on the day in which you were baptized? Let me ask you this now. 
Do you still feel that same way today? Today, as you sit here in the pew, are you still on fire for Jesus? Are you still passionate about Jesus? Are you still full of zeal concerning Jesus? Or as time has gone by, have you become apathetic? Have you become indifferent? Are you merely just kind of going through the motions and, and you're doing a bunch of religious things and you're quick to point out the error in other people, but your heart's really not in it anymore? You're kind of just here. Your heart's not in it anymore. You're not really excited about the Lord and his work anymore. You're not really excited about reading your Bible and growing in your knowledge of God's word. You're kind of content with what you currently know about your Bible. You're not zealous when it comes to doing evangelism and sharing your faith with other people. You're not able to be brought to tears anymore when you hear about Jesus dying on a cross for your sins. One of the big departure signs given to us in the Bible is dying zeal. His dying love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But let me give you another one. Let me also put on here wrong focus. Now, someone says, Sean, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say wrong focus? Well, look, there's a lot of different ways I could go with this point, And you know that. Could go a lot of different ways with this point. But for the purpose of this study and this point, I'm talking about wrong focus in the church. I'm being very specific right now. I'm talking about wrong focus in the church. I'm talking about getting to a point in our Christianity, where we're focusing on what everybody else is doing in the church and all the bad things going on in the church instead of keeping our focus on Jesus. I don't know about you, but over the past few years, I've been blessed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There have been numerous times when I've heard people say, well, I'm leaving the Lord and I'm leaving the Lord's people. I'm leaving the church because there are hypocrites in the church. They say there are people in the church who are mean and they do ugly things and they're rude. They're not very nice and they do things that a Christian just should not do. You ever heard people say that before? I'm going to tell you something. Every time I hear people say that, every time I hear people say, well, I'm going to leave the Lord and I'm going to leave the church because there are hypocrites, hypocrites in the church. That's never made much sense to me. It just doesn't. It doesn't make much sense to me for a couple of different reasons. First, this excuse people give to leave Jesus and his church doesn't make any sense because while there are times when we encounter people in the church who don't behave very Christian-like, the fact of the matter is that's nothing new. That's nothing new. That's not some new reality to pop up onto the scene the last couple of decades. That's the way it's been in the church since the very beginning of the church. There have always been hypocrites in the church. Acts chapter 5, we read about these two Christians who lie about their giving. They want to compete with Barnabas. And, and they lie about how much money they're, they're giving to help, to help Christians who are in need. And God strikes them both down dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit and eyes of Sapphira. You know what that's called? That's called hypocrites in the church. That's hypocrites in the church. As early as Acts 5. And what about 1 Corinthians 5, where in the Corinthian church, there's a brother who's involved in sexual immorality 
with probably his stepmother. And Paul says you need to withdraw from that brother. You know what that's called? That's a hypocrite in the church. What about Galatians 2 that we talked about this morning? Where the apostle Paul sees Peter involved in a form of racism. He's treating Gentile Christians one way when he's in private with them. Oh, it's all good. I'll eat with you. It's all good when I'm in private with you. But when we get around the Jews, oh, I don't want to hang with you because, you know, Jews don't like Gentiles. So Peter is separating the brethren, causing division, causing a faction. And Paul sees him do that. You know what that's called? That's called an apostle, a Christian being a hypocrite in the church. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. There have always been Christians who misbehave and do things that are wrong and not very Christ-like. But probably my biggest problem with this excuse that people often give for leaving Jesus is it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with the Lord. It has nothing to do with what he did 2,000 years ago at Golgotha. When you go in your Bible, please, we're going to come back to Revelation. But just look with me at some powerful passages in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse number 6. And, and just let these verses really soak in your heart and just ponder on these verses and what Paul is saying to us here. In Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse number 6, the apostle Paul says in verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more have been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Here's my question. What does hypocrisy in the church have to do with those verses? What does ungodly behavior by some Christians have to do with what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? Does some hypocrites in the church change the reality of the work of Jesus? Does it change what Jesus did for us, when he died on the cross for our sins, does that mean that I should no longer be willing to show my commitment and my love to a savior who gave his all for me? Is that what that means? I got to tell you that that is interesting to me that when the apostle Paul saw Peter involved in hypocrisy, he didn't go, well, you know what? Oh, man, that's an apostle doing that. An apostle is involved in hypocrisy. I think I'm out of here. I think I'm going to leave Jesus. I think I'm going to leave the church. This is just wrong. I'm so discouraged. I just, I, an apostle is acting up. I'm going to take it out on Jesus. Paul doesn't do that, does he? Paul doesn't get so focused on Peter's sin that he loses focus on Jesus. In fact, Paul is so focused on Jesus that he does exactly what a Christian is supposed to do when they see a brother or sister in sin. He has the courage and the love and the, and the commitment to Jesus to go to Peter to his face and confront him and say, you need to stop that. You need to repent. He does what a Christian is supposed to do. That's what Paul did. Stay focused on Jesus. That's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. You see, when I start focusing on all the bad folks in the church and when Christians are acting up and all the bad things I don't like about the church, you know what that is? That's a sign that I'm getting off course. That's a sign that I'm losing focus. 
I'm losing focus on Jesus. I'm losing focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I may soon begin compromising what I know is true so I can then go and be part of a church where everybody's nice and everybody treats me so good, but they're religiously wrong. Departure signs, dying zeal. Wrong focus. Well, let's add to the list, minimizing sin. This is a big one for us as Christians living in the kind of world we're living in today. And another, another way we could say this is no longer taking sin seriously. Go back to Revelation again, please. I want to look at a second church that was in Asia. And this time, I want to go to Pergamon. We could go to Thyatira also and look at this, but due to time, I just want to go to Pergamon for now. And in, in chapter 2 and in verse 12, in chapter 2 to verse 12, the Bible says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamon write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell. I know where you're at, Jesus says, where Satan's throne is. They're in the hot zone of persecution at this time. And you hold fast my name. They're being faithful. And do not deny my faith, even the days of Antipas, my, my witness, my faithful one who was, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. This church is being so resilient. They got a brother who's will, willing to die for the cause. They got martyrs in this church, Christians who are dying for the cause of the gospel, but you don't want to see that but from Jesus. Verse 14, Jesus says, but I got a few things against you because they, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I don't know exactly what the teaching of the Nicolaitans was, and few scholars do, if any. But I do want to talk about the problem that was going on in this church. I want to talk about how, according to Jesus, this church at Pergamon, they were, not, they were not in right standing with Jesus because they were tolerating things that God says his people should be intolerable about. They were tolerating the intolerable. They were tolerating sin. They were tolerating false teaching and false teachers. They were tolerating sexual immorality, according to verse number 14. That's what Jesus means when he mentions Balak and Balaam. If you remember from your Old Testament, if you remember from your Old Testament, in the time when, in, when Israel departed out of Egypt, after they departed out of Egypt, in Numbers chapter 31, the prophet Balaam, who had been hired by Balak to curse the people of God after he had blessed the people of God by the command of God, he persuaded the Moabites to commit sexual immorality with him. He said, I can't curse these people because God won't let me. But let me go to these Moabites and I'm going to talk with them because I know their weakness. I know their Achilles heel. It's women. It's sexual immorality. He figured that since God wouldn't let him curse his people, he could convince weak, wicked people to lead them away from God by getting them to tolerate and practice sin. Jesus uses that episode in a figurative way from the Old Testament to bring to light that the brethren in Pergamon they were doing essentially the same thing. Just like the children of Israel in the days of Balaam and Balak, they were also tolerating sin. 
They were also tolerating sexual immorality. The Christians in Pergamon had got off course because they stopped taking sin seriously. They began to minimize the horror and the significance of sin. And I want to suggest that that same thing can happen to us today. That can happen to us today, my dear friends. Today, we too can get off course by not having a proper view about, about sin. By tolerating sin, by compromising and changing how we view sin, we can get involved in this by letting our culture begin to rub off on us. We're supposed to be influencing our culture, but the culture is now influencing us. They're rubbing off on us. They're getting us to believe and say things like, well, you know what? Uh, homosexuality, that's not really a big deal. Well, what two consenting adults do in the privacy of their own home, that's not really a big deal. Transgenderism, not really a big deal. Divorcing your spouse for reasons other than sexual immorality, uh, that's not really a big deal. How we worship, not really a big deal. Instruments, not really a big deal. How we use the Lord's money, not really a big deal. All these classes about Bible authority, not really a big deal. Going to see that R-rated movie, not really a big deal. Hanging out with those kind of friends that are wicked and sinful and ungodly, not really a big deal. Showing some skin with the clothes I wear, not really a big deal. Clicking like on someone's comment on Facebook that is loaded with filthy language, not really a big deal. You see, whenever we start thinking like that, whenever we start staying that kind of stuff, whenever we begin compromising godly principles and godly morality, and we begin tolerating things that God does not tolerate, guess what's happening to us? We're getting off course. We're getting out of the right spiritual lane. Departure signs, dying zeal, wrong focus, minimizing sin. But I'm going to add one more on this particular, on this particular list. And that is some spiritual arrogance. Some spiritual arrogance. Go back in your Bible, please, to Revelation 3 this time. And we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea, the one church where Jesus has nothing positive to say to. He has nothing good to say to this church. And there's something interesting about that. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds. Again, I know. I know what you're doing. That you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have no need of nothing you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Notice what Jesus says is in this church. Jesus says that in this church, you had a bunch of lukewarm Christians. You had some lukewarm Christians. You had some Christians who were spiritually indifferent. They were not growing. They were not excelling. They were spiritually bankrupt, riding the fence, and they had become so disgusting in the eyes of Jesus that he says, I want to vomit you. I want to spit you out of my mouth. That's bad. 
That's bad. These Christians were in a horrible spiritual condition. But here's the real sad thing about it. Are you ready? Before Jesus said this, they didn't even know it. And it's one thing that being bad standing with Jesus is even worse than I even know you're in bad standing with Jesus. They didn't know it. They were oblivious to it. They were oblivious to their true spiritual condition. Their assessment of themselves was not in line with reality. These Christians were spiritually arrogant. And the same thing that happened to them can also happen to us. When I'm no longer evaluating myself spiritually anymore. When I'm content with where I am currently spiritually, when I no longer desire to grow. When I'm no longer willing to listen to godly counsel from the word of God and godly people, when I'm no longer willing to admit my mistakes, when I'm no longer willing to listen to the Bible properly, that is, listen to the Bible and not make application to the points to everybody else in the room, but first make application to me. When I start listening to sermons, making applications to others first instead of myself first, I'm in some danger. I'm in danger of getting off course. I'm in danger of being like the Christians in the church of Laodicea. I just want you to see that just like my car does for me, the Bible also does for all of us. It gives us some departure signs. It tells us when we're getting off course. It tells us when we can know that we're in danger of no longer being in the right spiritual lane. In fact, in addition to telling us when we're starting to get off course, the Bible also tells us how to get back on course. And so that's what I want to talk about in the last few minutes I have. How do we get back on course if we're currently off course right now? Well, there are three things we got to do. The first thing we got to do is we got to take heed. Got to take heed to the warnings. You know, when it comes to my lane departure warning system, it doesn't do me any good if I don't, if I don't listen to it right. If I don't pay attention to it, if I don't believe it. If I don't take seriously the warnings that it's trying to give me, that warning system is not going to help me if I just ignore it. And it reminds me of what James says in James chapter 1. Go into your Bible, please, to James chapter 1. And look at, let's just start with verse 19. Let's try to get the whole context here. James 1 and verse 19. And James 1 and verse 19, the Bible says this. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility. Notice humility. It takes humility to take heed to the warnings of God. And humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. See, that's what happened in Laodicea. They were deceived. They were just hearers. They weren't doing. Deceived. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and has gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So notice how in verse 23, in verse 23, James calls the Bible something. He compares it to something that I think we all know and have experience with. He compares it 
to a mirror. What does a mirror do for you? When you got up this morning, you're brushing your teeth, combing your hair, washing your face, shaving. What did your mirror do for you when you looked in that mirror? For all you ladies, when you looked in that mirror between the breaks, maybe getting your hair on, getting your hair together. I didn't mean to say get your hair on. It's already on, but <laughs> getting your hair together. I should have stuck to the script on that one. <laughs> Putting your lipstick on. What did that mirror do for you? Well, we know what the mirror did. We know what mirrors do. Mirrors tell us the truth, right? Mirrors tell us how we look. They tell us the truth about ourselves. That's what mirrors do for us. In the case of the Bible, the Bible does that same thing spiritually. The Bible tells us the truth about ourselves spiritually. It shows us how we look before God. It shows us the truth about our flaws and our problems and our imperfections and the areas where we need to do better. You know what that means? That means that if I look at my Bible and I see that my life is currently not in the right spiritual lane. If I look at my Bible and I see that I am currently getting off course, if I see that I am deviating from the path God wants me to be on, I will be wise to not ignore that. I will be wise to, to take heed to that. I'll be wise to humble myself before God and realize that if I continue on this path, I'm not going to make it to the spiritual promised land. I'll be wise to understand that. In fact, Jesus puts it this way as he addresses the churches of Asia who were doing things sinful. You remember Jesus used this repetitive device. He says, he who has an ear, let him listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Jesus says, you need to listen. You need to take heed. That's the first thing you got to do if you're going to get back on course. But not only do we need to take heed to the warnings, we also then need to take some action. We need to change course. We need to get back now into the right spiritual lane. That's exactly what I do whenever I start getting a, 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 a message from my, from my lane departure warning system. That's exactly what I do when my steering wheel begins to stiffen up and my car begins to shake and vibrate. Whenever that stuff starts happening, you know what I do? I immediately take some action. I immediately start doing what's right. I get into the right lane. Jesus told those churches, we studied this morning, that same thing. When it came to the church at Ephesus and Revelation 2 and verse 5, Jesus told them to repent. You need to repent. He told them that twice in that verse. And then in verse number 16, when it came to the church at Pergamon, he also told them, you need to take action. You need to repent. And then in chapter 3 and in verse number 19, he told the church of Laodicea, be zealous and repent. You see, in the case of the churches, in the cases of the churches that we have talked about this morning, churches that had clearly gotten off the right course, Jesus told them to repent. He said you need to change, you need to turn, you need to get back in the right spiritual lane before it is too late. That's what Jesus told them to do, and that's also what I may need to do. If I have gotten off of course in my life, if I have gotten out of the right spiritual lane, if I'm involved in the things that we talked about today, if I'm no longer passionate and zealous about the Lord and his work, 
If I don't love the Lord as much as I once did, if I'm tolerating sin, if I'm no longer taking sin seriously, if I'm being spiritually arrogant and failing to listen to the counsel from the word of God and godly people. If I'm constantly evaluating myself by my own standard instead of the standard of God, if that describes me in my life right now, I need to be wise and take action. I need to change. I need to stop. I need to humble myself before God and beg for his forgiveness. I need to commit myself fully to serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I need to thank God that in his grace, I'm still alive today. I'm not dead and I have an opportunity to get right with him right here and right now today. I need to take some action. And after I take action, I need to stay focused. I got to stay focused. And that's really what my what that departure warning system thing I have in my car is designed to do. It's really designed to help me stay focused. Right. It's trying to help me stay conscious of staying in my lane and avoid drifting. And it reminds me what the Hebrew writer says. For those of you in that Hebrews class, you knew we were going here when we said the word drifting. Right. Hebrews two. Remember Hebrews two. Beginning with verse number one, when it came to these Christians, these Jewish Christians who were thinking about leaving Christianity. The Hebrew writer says, don't you do that. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. Don't drift away. Pay more attention. Take heed. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and I think there he's talking about the old covenant, the law of Moses. And if that proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we, those under the new covenant, escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testified with them by both signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So notice, notice how the Hebrew writer says that if I want, if I want to avoid drifting, if I want to avoid getting off the right course, if I want to avoid getting off the path that leads to paradise with God, I got to stay focused. I got to stay focused on the word. I got to stay focused on Jesus. I got to fix my eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, as Sean Michael read about this morning. Instead of focusing on everything under the sun, on all, on all the wrong stuff, Instead of focusing on what everybody else is doing in the world, instead of focusing on things beyond my control, instead of focusing on the bad actions of others and allowing the bad actions of others to destroy my faith, what I need to do is keep my faith in Jesus. I need to stay focused on Jesus. I need to love Jesus. I need to serve Jesus. I need to give Jesus my all, every fiber of my being, because he demonstrated love for me. 2,000 years ago at the highest level when he died on the cross. Now, before we go into our invitation, I want to tell you this. I've been debating whether or not to get on YouTube and figure out how to turn off that lane departure warning system. I've been debating that. I'm tempted to get on YouTube and figure out how to turn that thing off. But so you can avoid coming up to me and telling me how to do it this morning. Let me just say, I want to leave it on. I want to keep it. 
I want to keep it going because honestly, I need the help. I need the help at times. Too often I get off course. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, you're off course. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're a Christian and you've gotten off the right spiritual path. You remember I told you, I told you that when I do that in my car, it starts taking matters into its own hands. If I don't listen to the warnings, well, it'll start getting back in the, in the right lane again. The Lord's not going to do that with you if you're off course this morning. The Lord's not going to force you to get on the right course. He's going to tell you what to do, and it's going to be up to you just to do it. And so if you're a Christian and you're off course, you need to repent. And you need to get encouragement from your brothers and sisters and ask us to pray with you and pray for you. Or if you're not a Christian at all, you, even, you haven't even begun the journey. You need to confess faith in Christ. Repent of sins and be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help anyone here this morning get on the right path, come to the front. Let's stand. Let's sing. Before the